What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Well, good evening to you. Thanks for coming. It's great to be invited in and uh, just want to thank the worship team too. You guys did an incredible job tonight. I've really ministered to my heart. In fact, uh, whatever Steve's paying you, um, triple that. <laughs> Come and see me after the service. I tried double this morning. They didn't, they didn't buy it. But, uh, yeah, well, three times nothing's nothing, so I'm good to go. Uh, we can... <laughs> it's, it's all good. Now, I really do value Steve um, and his family, Donna and Bryce and their families. They've played a huge part in our lives over the last few years. As, um, we've come from a, a, the Baptist movement into the Churches of Christ and, uh, and so there were some things to learn and change and they've been a real help. Steve's voice is a real one of wisdom in this movement, incredible influence there. So um, thanks for having me. We're talking into hearing the Spirit, hearing the Spirit. And I'm going to bounce off a little bit of what we did this morning. So if you, if you weren't here this morning, uh, feel free to... Uh, uh, tune in and watch that online. I'll probably use a few of the same scriptures to bounce off, but I'll have some different illustrations and a bit of a different framework, if that's all right, for the night service. But let me start with one picture, one illustration of uh, what it means, what it's like in real time to be listening to God. Uh, I'm not going to really delve into the theological issues around that because I, I recognise um, in the kingdom, uh, and no doubt in this church as well, there'll be a, there'll be a full spectrum of theological belief on the validity, the, the realism of God speaking and what that means, what, what sort of boundaries we put around that. I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit more in a moment. But just to illustrate um, the times that the Lord has spoken in my life particularly, and God has an outside voice, I've found, and an inside voice. And uh, I've heard the outside, the, the audible voice of God probably five times, I think, and uh, an illustration of that was at the moment uh, in Kenya, one of my first trips to Kenya. Uh, I'd found myself there as part of a mission trip, gone out on my own. There was a refugee camp up on the northern border of Sudan that the world's press hadn't gotten hold of yet. And apparently there are 800,000 Sudanese. This is before the Sudanese immigrants started coming to Australia. And uh, so I thought I'll, I'll find my way up there and see what I can do and, and get the word out about these refugee camps. I had no idea what I was doing, broke every rule in the book and um, found myself in what they call in Kenya, they have the, uh, a knack of the understatement. They call it being in trouble. Uh, it was really one of those end-of-life uh, situations and um, found myself in the... In, they have a, a region called the Bandit Road north of a, a village called Lokichokyo. There's been movies made about it where the bandits, um, who are often start at age about 10 with AK-47s, um, and Coney, if you've heard of Coney, uh, he was up there at the time, and they basically uh, shoot whatever car they can see if you're, if you're on the road the same time they are. And so I'd gone up there not knowing much of the detail about that and, and found myself in trouble and um, uh, about, I think it was about 20, maybe 22 people were shot and killed in the same uh, space and moment when I was there and my car had broken down in the desert and uh, 
You know, when you're in Africa, these things do happen. Uh, you, you know, it's not unusual to have, a, to see, have the shotgun to your head uh, and be robbed and these sorts of things. I guess it only goes off once. Uh, otherwise, you get to come and tell the story. So I get to come and tell the stories. But, um, but you reconsider a lot about life and you, re- you recognise that life and death uh, were always only a moment away. And in one of those moments, uh, I'd, I'd come back from that experience. I won't give the detail. It's actually in the book called Refresh if you get, a, get to read that. But uh, coming back, I'd gone through all the usual survivor guilt. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd been back in the, the city of Nairobi for 24 hours or so and, and I was ready to fly out and I was, I was genuinely over Kenya. I was done. Uh, I was, it was 40 degrees in the shade. I was covered in red dust. Um, I'd been pulled over, must have been two dozen times by the army and the police uh, looking for payment to let you get through on the road. Complete in, in intimidation. There was no law. Uh, there was no safety, and I was done. I, was, I just wanted to get home to Brisbane. And um, they said, Pastor, can you just do one more revival meeting for us, and, uh, which in a, in a place called Kibera, which is the largest slum in Africa. It's 1.2 million people uh, in one square mile, if you can, if you can understand the, the size of that. It was just an absolute sight to behold, and the smell is something you really can't explain, and, and it's a flame front between the Muslim faith and the Christian faith, uh, through the middle of Kenya. And so those two sections of Kibera are in open, open war, killing each other uh, with machetes and such. So it's a volatile moment. I'm in a very bad mood. Uh, I wasn't really aware of too much about listening to God's spirit in that moment. I just wanted to get on a plane, any plane, and just get out of town. And, um, but they, they asked me to uh, come and do one more meeting. And so I'm in a little shed about the size of the, the sound desk up there. And there was 40 or 50 people in this shed, uh, steel shed, 40 degrees plus outside. It was, and they have little squares cut out of, the, out of the corrugated iron so you can get a bit of air through. And I'm in, the, in there and the, um, they're singing in Swahili. And they have this beautiful way of singing a four-part harmony. And they're singing it in a way you would swear you're in heaven even though you can't understand a word they're saying. You literally get taken to heaven's gates by the power and the sincerity with people who have absolutely nothing, nothing, and yet can praise in an instant and praise all day long. And so dealing with my own inner weaknesses of wanting to be out of town, the selfishness of that, trying to decompress from nearly losing my life and, and leaving my family without a, a father and, and husband, wanted to feel sorry for myself but found myself listening to this song not having a clue what they were saying. And I looked, as I looked out the window, I'm looking into the, 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 the valley of, uh, I like to call it Gehenna, but it was Kibera. And there are all these two and three, four-year-old children in the valley that is the refuse valley, full of open, it's an open sewer, and they're walking in it looking for food. And I'm listening to heaven, and I'm seeing hell, if you can understand the tension of that moment. And I didn't want to be there. But as I'm looking out that window, looking into what I thought... Hell could not be too much worse than this situation. I hear the audible voice of God and, and people ask me this morning, what does the audible voice of God sound like? Does he speak Hebrew? Is it deep and male like Charlton Heston or something? What's the, what's the voice of God sound like? And it's, it's almost impossible to describe because it, it, it's everywhere. It's the perfect volume but it's unmistakable in its clarity and with it comes peace, with it comes complete faith. There's something about the Word of God. See, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In the presence of God's Word, anything is possible. Everything is real. 
And he spoke to me as I looked out the window and said, I remember these people. I need you to remember them. That was it. And I thought, if there was ever a word I didn't want to hear, (laughs) it's that word. And then they switched from Swahili to English in that moment where I'm getting over the fact that I just heard the audible voice of God in, in, in the midst of this situation. And what they were singing was, remember me, God. Remember me, God. And I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to feel. All I knew that somehow I'd just been handcuffed to these people. I'm still going to get on a plane. I don't know where this thing's going to go. But, I, but unmistakably, God had spoken. I wasn't listening. I didn't want to hear. That's why probably he had to use his outside voice. But as I went home, a friend came over to my house and he'd just been to Uganda. And he said, God's spoken to me. He said, I've got to, I've got to, I can't forget these people. And so I said, let's go back. I think it was the spirit of stupid came over me, you know, but I just said, let's go back. So we went, we went back and we formed uh, a charity, a non-profit organisation called Droplets in a Stream because we thought no matter what we do at its best, it's going to be one droplet in a stream that's going to do very little. And uh, we started a bike race as a fundraiser. We did all these sorts of stuff. In the end, that uh, charity is still running and uh, pulls in a, a million and a half dollars per year um, building projects and communities in Kenya and Uganda. You know, why did I survive and so many didn't survive that situation? Why, why did God speak to me? Perhaps it was that. See, God always empowers his will and whatever he needs to do, whatever he wants to do, I beg your pardon, he'll, he'll give you the power, the grace, the enablement and the guidance to do that. But we need to have ears and a will to be about what he is about. And so much of what he's about is what's not going on inside the four walls of this church. It's out there in the coalface. But what we need to understand when it comes to hearing God, and that's, that's an extreme highlight reel. I don't say that is something that would happen every day in anyone's life. You don't want to go through that experience too often, to be honest. But it, it illustrates that this is not a set and forget Christian life. This is not an apologetic, it's just an idea where we say, yes, I believe in this God and I can't disprove otherwise, so does that make me a Christian? It's not like that. It's not like we recognise and place our faith in Christ at the beginning and then it's set and forget and he just leaves you to figure it out. We start by grace and we live from grace. The Christian life in, in every facet of what it really means is actually impossible. We think some bits are possible. I can be faithful. So we do the very best in our own strength to be an example, to imitate people who are godly because that's what we're supposed to look like. But he promises something altogether different, fruitfulness that comes from grace within. We start by grace, we're supposed to keep going by grace because a Christian life is impossible. You can't do it. The gifts of the Spirit, they start small. You know, someone with the gift of healing, for example, doesn't start by raising somebody from the dead. It starts with a prayer for a headache and we, we fan the gifts in the flame. Paul says. And this whole deal is not set and forget, it's about relationship. It's not a theory. Theory is true, theory is necessary. It's not just knowledge, knowledge is true and knowledge is necessary. But the Christian life beyond any other thing is a relationship. He didn't get you saved so you would behave better. He didn't get you saved so you would know more. He saved you for relationship. And what relationship have you ever been in that says, I spoke to you at the beginning, I'm never speaking to you again? It's an ongoing, dynamic relationship. It's a partnership. And so it's up to us to learn how to partner with this God. I admit it, I can't see him. But we can learn to hear what he's about. John 10, 27. Jesus was crystal clear. My sheep hear my voice. We're all part of that flock and so we should hear his voice. 
But there's Old Testament and New Testament context to this, and this is where the, the, the church tends to get itself tied up in knots. Because in the Old Testament, it was a very different framework. And if you look at 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, uh, hopefully up on screen behind me, it says, no prophecy. And, this, and when I say prophecy here, let's, let's talk about that in the sense of someone relaying the Word of God. I recognise you've had teaching over the last few weeks that talks about all facets of what prophecy is, but this is talking about God, God's revealed Word being spoken directly. No prophecy of Scripture come about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Remember that word, interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. There's another key word, human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So there's interpretation. When it talks about discerning what the Spirit is saying, there's a sense where that's not just hearing it, it needs to be interpreted. And in the Old Testament context, they're saying, no, there was none of that. Because the Spirit wasn't within people in the Old Testament. The Spirit visited occasionally upon and so there was no input required. God had a message that he wanted written down. I don't, don't attempt to grow a brain, in other words, he was saying. Listen to this, write that down. Don't try to make sense of it, just get it down there. And these people were carried along by the Spirit. So it was almost like they, they had no choice, they had no control in this whole situation. So there was no, there was no discerning together what does this mean. It meant what it said. Uh, and there was no input. They were literally carried along. But in the New Testament, the Spirit is not... A visitor occasionally in your life. It's a habitation. It's not a visitation. It's a habitation now. God is in you. You're imperfect. But he still likes it there. Some people say, how can light dwell with darkness? Misquoting a scripture there. Well, light is dwelling inside of you and you're imperfect. It is doing okay. You're imperfect still. Redeemed, seen as perfect through Jesus' eyes. And yet, the perfection of the Spirit still dwells in that if we're going to be real about things, it's, it's church, let's be honest. You, you've sinned today. Come on now. Or is it just me? Uh, but the light of God in all his perfection still finds a way to cohabit with you. And he likes it there. Sometimes, and just as a bit of a diversion, we think God wants less of us. You know, we misquote again John the Baptist saying, you know, less of me, more of him. He wasn't talking about what we translate that to say. He was talking about his ministry, less of my ministry, more of Jesus. God does not want less of you. He wants all of you. He made you. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. What he wants us to do is learn how to partner with him in that. And so the Spirit is in us. And so in the terms of hearing from the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says that the Spirit of the prophet, and let's put a little P on that, uh, let's not have an argument about the offices. This is people being able to discern what God is saying. My sheep hearing my voice. The spirit of that person is subject to the prophet, subject to that person. We're no longer carried along. We no longer have free will taken from us because the spirit is in us and the free will remains. So he's saying that word that you're hearing now, now the obligation is to learn how to steward that because your spirit is subject to you. You don't just... Say, thus saith the Lord, in, with some overbearing finger pointing that says, you must listen and not question what I'm saying. And, and I'm going to say it because I'm just sensing now is the time to say it. No, it's, it's saying we need to get control of ourselves through self-control and, and be hearing and, and sensing together, but exercising self-control in how we interpret that and how we deliver that, hence the prophetic community where we do this whole thing together because no single person has given the authority to unquestionably deliver what they believe is God's word. It's incredibly powerful, but it comes with some challenges, some limitations. It's incredible because we can all discern, we can all hear God's voice 
And yet we can also all get it incredibly wrong and cause a lot of damage. And they're all the horror stories that we see on YouTube that we point our finger at and say, here's why we're never going to go there again. And by doing so, rob ourselves of one of the fundamental blessings of New Testament life. So the architecture of a human spirit and soul and body is that the spirit is housed within our, our human soul. Our soul is our mind and will and emotions. Our body, our physical body and our senses and our brain encompasses our soul. And so if we're sensing in the spirit what God, who is spirit, dwelling with our spirit, we sense what he's saying. Our mind, our will and our emotions need, are trying to articulate and make sense of that. And if, and if the limitations of that will become a limitation of the word that's delivered. And so the onus is on God's people to learn, to grow in their vocabulary and their understanding of God's ways, to deal with their junk so they're not uh, projecting onto other people what they think is God's will when it's just their own brokenness. But when the body of Christ gets this together and understands these sorts of boundaries, it's incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. But it's only for the mature and the brave of heart who'll go there. But the stakes are sky high. The stakes are incredibly high. And so to house this, we need protections. We need, if you're a, a, a bit of a reader, you might have heard of a guy called Francis Schaeffer. Uh, there was Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, and a couple of really great thinkers out there. And Francis Schaeffer was really the 20th, 20th century's uh, key Christian philosopher. And he simplified and distilled the whole thing down and said, Christian life is a matter of freedom within the form. All freedom must have a form. Freedom is not without boundaries. The Garden of Eden had a wall around it. There was complete freedom within there, but there was form as well. And the Christian life is all about form and freedom. And, but the matter is, what are we going to focus on? Do we focus on the form or do we focus on the freedom? Because the form, Paul goes into in depth of this, this in Romans uh, 6, 7 and 8. He talks about the law. He says, you know, until before I knew the law, you know, it was almost like I was never drawn to it. Why do I even know this thing? Because now that I know about it, it's like I hadn't thought of that. Can't help but do that now. And so Christianity becomes this battle against the Romans 7 version of the flesh. And we get, we get enamoured with the law. The law was the form, the boundaries of, of the freedom. And we go, how close am I to the boundary? Can I lose my salvation? How close to that boundary can I get? And if, and if these steps were that form and outside is death but inside is freedom, all our focus becomes on the form. Am I sinning right now? Am I right? Am I wrong? How close am I? And we, we focus balancing ourselves to be able to enjoy life as much as we possibly can without falling over into death, but we never have an experience of life because our focus is on the form and not on the freedom. So Jesus offered freedom. His focus was not the form. He spoke about it. He said not one line of the law will be removed. That, that boundary is still there. But let's talk about rivers of living life. Let's talk about abiding and overflowing fruit that comes from that. Let's get your heart centred on the freedom and, and you'll never have to worry about the form again because it will become natural rather than obligation. It's world-changing stuff. But we still need, especially when we're talking about it, such a controversial topic as hearing from the Spirit and working as credible, powerful believers in that. We need that form. And so let me briefly go into that in the 17.25 minutes left I have. The first part of the form is Christian community. Christian community. The form, we are ne we're not a prophetic... I don't really buy too much into this whole capital P prophet thing. It's just laced with danger. Um, you know, other people will die on that hill. I won't die on that hill. Uh, I, just want to, I just want all of us hearing, discerning the shepherd's voice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says, Don't quench the spirit. Why would he say that? 
because people were quenching the Spirit. Why were they quenching the Spirit? Because there were lunatics out there saying, God's saying this and God's saying that, calling themselves a capital P prophet, and they were saying things were obviously wrong, and people were going, if that's prophecy, I want nothing to do with that. Thank you very much. We're never going there. Let's create a whole denomination called that. So he's saying, don't quench the Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. You see, you, you've probably brushed over this a, a hundred times if you read Scripture, but in the context of what we're saying, doesn't it highlight the, the importance of this? Don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit wants to bring life. Don't put that fire out. How do we put it out? By treating prophecy with contempt. Instead, test them all. So promote people hearing from God and working with each other and, and trying this sort of stuff, and, but put it to the test in this group of of godly people and mature believers who are grounded in the word of God, let's be open enough to test it. I sense God is saying this. What do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds like something, you know. And, and you work this thing through as a mature community. So the community is part of that form that keeps it safe. Obviously, the word of God itself is a, a, a rigid part of the form of what it looks like to operate in God's freedom. And so if someone senses they're, they're hearing something from the Spirit... Straight away, our first question is, does it line up with the Word of God? The Word of God is the absolute authority. It's not a loose-leaf Bible where we can just get a prophecy and start, this is God's Word. It doesn't work like that. The written canon of Scripture remains the highest value, and everything else God is saying will agree with that. It won't supersede it. It won't contradict it. And there's nothing in the book that's already been written that can mean something different now to what it meant then. That's just good scriptural hermeneutics, we call that. So a thorough understanding around God's word among God's people forms a, a really great protection for us as we grapple with this issue. There's another sense where the people that we trust in that godly community, we can bounce off them, or, you know, what we sense God might be saying. Does this seem right to you? Is this godly? Does it reflect scripture and so on? And then finally, the third bit is the sense of what I call echo where if someone comes to you and says, I, I just want to bless you and I really sense God is saying something. You know, it's dangerous ground, but if the form works in place and the form work says, um, this isn't an absolute directive and I'm coming this to you humbly and, I, and I'm in submission to the whole community and you need to go away and you need to test this word. And this is, a, this is all the form work. In our church, we have, we have um, uh, people practicing hearing from God and blessing each other week in and week out. But there's a, there's a common understanding that not one word that comes to you should not be tested and challenged. And, you know, it's, it's not an authority in itself. And so when we come with this, we come with humble hearts. Now, this is just what I'm sensing. Will you go away and process that and see if, it remind, see if it reflects what God is saying? Because there should be a sense of echo. Echo means, yeah, that lines up with God's, what God's already telling me because he knows how to get through to you already. He doesn't just need someone else hearing for you. He would expect that all of us hear God's voice. And if a word comes to us, it should echo a little bit of what he's already saying. It's more the exception than the rule that it would be something completely out of character, like my, my uh, outside voice experience that I had in Kenya. So God's, the community of God's people, the word of God itself, and this echo of God talking in your own heart become a protective measure for us all to put to the test all these things. And if we can do that, understanding that, I may sense or you may sense that uh, God is saying something, God is, is speaking something, but, but to be honest, my ears aren't what they used to be. Um, my mind isn't as sharp. I don't know all things. There's, thing, there's ways that God works that I don't understand. Um, so I'll, I'll hear in part. Others will hear in part. Hopefully together we'll all hear enough that we could say with confidence we're, we're hearing with the mind of Christ. 
But it requires the whole body to come together and be a part of that. So that's the form, but what about the actual freedom? How do you grow that? Well, we need to grow in skills and understanding because I, I, if I'm hearing physically my own voice now, I'm hearing it through my eardrums, I'm hearing it through the bones in my jaw and, and you can sense things, vibrations in your skin. God has languages and ways that he communicates with us. And there are things that God wants to be talking to us about. He wants to speak into your destiny and, and your character and, and he'll, he'll convict us of sin and bring the power to deal with that sin. There'll be all this suite of issues. He may want to deal with the trauma of your past and help you overcome it. There, there are all sorts of areas. And so we need to grow as God's people rather than having the argument about whether this ministry is, is a valid part of Christian life. Giving that energy to understanding the different ways and means in which God wants to bring his word and life to our lives will be a lot more fruitful. So our team, we challenge them. We want you to be the most informed, most scriptural, most well-educated, highest character people in the church are those who would dare to come and say, I want to learn to be a part of your prayer ministry. Because the wider the bandwidth of understanding of the ways of God, the more potential there is for impact. Because God may want to do something in someone's life and I don't hear it because I don't understand it. I don't have the bandwidth for what he may want to be doing there. Let me illustrate there was a, a young lady in our church and a um, uh, lovely young couple, had no children, uh, I hadn't noticed that at the time, but it went to a home group and I, I said, oh, I'd love to, let's just get together and let's pray for each other. And they'd never seen that, they were a, a Baptist church, they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit, it was Father, Son and Holy Scriptures. You know, and and I, it was all new for them and, and I said, oh, let me, let's, let's just do this. And so as I prayed to this one couple and uh, really felt a sense to, to speak into their future family. And sometimes the prophetic, especially when you uh, grow in your faith, um, you learn to understand the posture with which God approaches us sometimes because we're limited by time. And sometimes a word will come from the Lord. You think, man, could that be possible? Because I know that person. There's just no way knowing that's ever going to happen. But we've got to understand that God is not limited by time or space. He's everywhere, every when. Everywhere and every when. And it says in Revelation chapter 2, 17, where he says, uh, I have a stone for you, and on that stone is a name. That name is the character. And when you get to heaven one day, your name won't be the name you've got now. There'll be another name that's on, on that stone. It actually already exists. And, and you're here in the present, and God's way in the future when you, you finally pass away, and he's got the stone there, and, he's, and that stone might say something like, wonderful, victorious warrior, or something fantastic, evangelist, something like that. But you're living a life right now that is head in the complete other direction. But his calling upon your life is the stone. But because he's everywhere and every when, when he speaks to you, he's speaking from this. He's speaking from, because it's real to him. It's now for him. And he says, I'm drawing this gold out of you because it's woven into your spirit and there's no way you can ask or imagine the things that I have in store for you. But I'm speaking from here and as far as I'm concerned, it's a foregone conclusion who you're going to become. Simon Peter, you're going to become Peter the Rock. Not a wispy reed anymore. Abram, they've defined you in your life that you're just a father of a household. I'm going to call you Abraham. You're the father of many nations. And he would speak to him from that place. And Abram sits back and goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just want a, just want a boy. I just want the son. What about Ishmael? You know, he, he can't grasp that this God who's beyond time goes, no, I'm calling you this way. And the heavenly GPS just keeps calling us back. Because someone somewhere pressed home on that sucker and he, he doesn't get upset. He just, you can turn left and he says, just turn right. Next opportunity, turn right. I'm, come, I'm calling you home. 
And this is what often that when God is speaking to our hearts, this is why we can't understand because we don't think like he does. Oh God, I'm broken and beaten up. What have you got to say about that? Crickets. Why doesn't he engage? He doesn't agree with you. He's not going to enter into a conversation where he fundamentally disagrees with what you're saying. Oh, but I'm hopeless. No, you're not. You're awesome. He's speaking back here. I'm committed to making you wonderful and awesome. You're going to do all this stuff. He won't enter into a conversation he fundamentally disagrees with. And so all that we hear from him is within this context of actually who God is. This becomes the freedom, and we need to grow in the understanding of that. Secondly, we need to give ourselves permission, and this is the next step, and this is where it gets a bit more sticky, is to actually practice. You know how Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of the Spirit? What do you think that means? You know, pick, what, what on earth could that mean? Exercise it. Come on, baby. It means this thing starts small because everything in the kingdom starts as a seed, doesn't it? And it gets watered. Everything in the kingdom starts small. And so you may, everyone here who is a believer who's placed their faith in Christ, you actually have at least one gift in the Holy Spirit. But you may not be seeing it because you haven't been taught yet how to fan that into flame. And that becomes a cultural piece that, that whole movements need to consider. How do we fan this in the flame? It can be as simple as exercising or practicing it. So we set up environments in our, in our little church. We call them a hot room because we haven't got any credible name to give to it. Um, but it's just where we invite people. It's a closed meeting. It's just for those who, who want to investigate this sort of thing and grow. It's a fanning in the flame sort of meeting. We say, now we want to practice. Let's practice hearing from the Lord to bless other people because our assumption is God is good, number one, and some people have a problem with that, so we need to teach around the fact that God actually is good. Then we say God wants to bless people because that's who he is. God is love. He wants to bring people to life. Uh, plenty of scriptures to back that up. It's the character of God. So God is good and he wants to bring people to life. There's no reason in our logic why he wouldn't want to do that now. We just think, why would, he, why would he withhold? So in this room there will be people God wants to bless. So let's get about that. And let's pray over people and begin to practice hearing and listening to how God would specifically want to bless that person. We can start generically and we often do. Just, let's just pray scripture over each other. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, that you would know this love that's beyond all understanding, that you have peace that can't be uh, uh, grasped in your mind, that the joy of the Holy Spirit would be in your life. All the promises of Scripture that, regardless of the context, are always true, always applicable. Let's start with that. And you find that once your mindset starts to align with the mindset of heaven, you start thinking, in a sense, as Jesus would think, if Jesus were you, if Jesus were there. You think with his faith, with his optimism, from his end of the equation... When you start to align with that, the stream and the, the live download, if I can use that sort of language, it's, it's modern terminology, you're much more likely to begin to hear the nuance of his specific word for that person. And often you'll start general and then if you hang in there long enough, you'll find you can get very, very specific and the languages of God start to open up for you. And it's a learned experience. And in that, in that moment, and I know this is going to be the hardest one for us to grasp, in that environment there will be mistakes. Because if, if there isn't mistakes, we're not learning. And mistakes aren't a sign that God is not with us. We think, but God is perfect. Absolutely. Everything God is, says is true. God cannot lie. God cannot make mistakes. God's not the problem. I'm the problem. Because my ears aren't perfect. My mind isn't perfect. My logic isn't perfect. My understanding isn't full. So I'm limited. But this unlimited God who's speaking in and through me, 
somehow it's a bit like if you've ever had coffee through the filter, you think, I know the coffee's good, this, this cup tastes a lot like the filter. There's something wrong with that filter. Let's clean the filter, not throw out the coffee. And this is the dynamic that we learn, that as we partner, and the New Testament life is all about a relational engagement and partnership with God. These are the skills we learn. And so we allow our guys to say, look, in the context, this is a safe room. We're allowed to make mistakes because we're not imposing. We're, we're saying, I'm sensing this. Does this sound right to you? They go, no, that sounds pretty like a bad filter to me. You go, okay, that's, now I know the difference between what feels like my word and God's word. How else am I going to find that out if I don't experiment and make the odd little mistake before people let me loose on the public and real human beings, you know? And so I've possibly had, I, I, I hesitate to put a number, five to 10,000 words of knowledge over people in my ministry life. And yet I would argue I don't have the gift of a word of knowledge. All I've done is pray five to 10,000 times. You can't help but when you spend that much time in God's presence, be able to hear in line with what God's doing. Sometimes we have more faith in the devil to lead us into error than we have in God to lead us into truth. Come on, we've got to get a bigger version of God. There's a big job to do out there. I think Steve's going to get some emails after this message tonight. But, um, <laughs> so let me illustrate. I didn't finish the, the story about the young lady I prayed for. I prayed over her. That was a real diversion. Sorry, Steve. In three minutes now, I've got to do 25 minutes. So I prayed for this young woman called Patria and, and talked into her family that I, I sensed was coming. Two kids seemed so clear to me. She said, yeah, it's a shame I haven't got any ovaries or a womb. I went, okay, this is a tough one. Um, and she'd been, she'd been prayed over for healing for many years. And uh, new pastor, I had no idea. I just really put my foot in it. Um, but I, I went away. I think, gee, I was sure I heard from the Lord on that one. Anyway, um, a year or so went past. But we've been training up our team in, in all what I've been talking about right now. I went away on, a, on a, one of our weekend retreats. And uh, Patria was there, and uh, she just had a new set of scans uh, two days earlier. Uh, there were, uh, the, the reality was there was no ovary on one side, there was one-eighth of an ovary on the other side, but it was all just uh, it was, um, growth and cancerous growth. There was no living tissue there. It was, it was dead. It was, it was gone. So she had the, the scans to prove that. She came to the retreat, and um, one of our teams started praying, but... but when we're listening and discerning and trying to pray with God's spirit, because he only empowers what he is doing, he, he talks into what he is doing, and so it's our role to hear what he's doing and saying, not to try and convince him to do what we think he should be doing. Very, very different dynamic. So I taught our team, don't pray for anyone for healing who's not asking for prayer for healing. Listen to what God is saying. And so they went to pray for Patria, and instead of the, the standard role, we all know Patria's story, they, they, they said, can we pray, really sense we need to do a little bit of forgiveness, is that okay? And what had happened was Patria's um, uh, sister had died in a, in a car accident, her, um, her brother was a drug addict, uh, and it was just a tragic story, and she was the older sister, and, and her, she really felt her parents had tapped out, and she had to be the parent of the family when she was like 21 years of age. And so everything had, been, had gone bad for her, and there was a lot of resentment there that none of us would have known, incredibly bright personality, and that, that girl was actually in ministry today. And they said, can we just talk into, um, and the person ministering had no sense of the detail, just said, can we just pray, is there someone that you need to forgive? Uh, where we're sensing them up with some parental issues here. And, and I went, took her through a really beautiful healing process of forgiving her parents, forgiving her brother, 
and even a, a form of forgiveness for her sister, who was her older sister, leaving her alone to become uh, who she had to become to keep the family together. And, as I, and this took 45 minutes to an hour. You know, sometimes we want to come out the front and pray one prayer, and, you know, the greatest miracles I've seen have been close to an hour of prayer. Uh, you, you contend, you listen, you do what God is doing. But as they were praying for Patria, um, what they, they did not pray into healing. All they prayed was helped her pray into forgiveness. Uh, but she sensed something had shifted in her body the next day. There was nothing instant, there was no, no, nothing spectacular. Um, but she ended up going back to the doctor and getting rescanned. And she had two brand new ovaries, and, and the whole system there was all fully there. And the doctor said, There must be a mistake. You, you know the, the story. This can't be true. This is, you know. But there's the two sets of scans. And within seven days, she was pregnant uh, with her, what became her daughter, Grace. Grace. And she was, she was sick as a dog with morning sickness. And no one felt sorry for her at all. It was just like, you know, vomit away, kiddo. It was just like, this is beautiful, you know. And, uh, and she ended up, um, she had those two kids. And uh, it's just a wonderful story that if God declares that which will be before it is, don't despise prophecy. Just say, Father, if that's in your will, let it be. What does he say? You, all God's promises are yes and amen. That's what this means. Our role is to agree. Say, Father, we don't understand, but we just say yes and so be it. And Lord, it's up to you to find a way. Powerful, powerful stuff. So this is why I say there are high stakes in this game. Those two daughters are alive and they're going to have their own kids one day. What if someone hadn't prayed? I shared a similar story this morning where a life was saved through someone praying under, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. What if we hadn't prayed? Draw your own conclusion. But I think the world would look a lot different if us Christians stopped arguing about whether God talks or not and started learning to listen. I think there would be a very different story going on in this planet. Romans 12, 6 the second half of that says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. There's a paradigm he's unwrapping there. Saying whatever, whatever it is, it's in the context of a whole string of gifts that he's talking about. If you want to work with the Holy Spirit, if you want to learn to partner with him, and it's, 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 it can be messy, you can make mistakes, but there are some glorious victories as well. You do that in proportion to your faith. And so if you don't have a lot of faith, don't feel bad about that. You just practice. You just hang around people that have faith. You learn. You, you do what I've done. Five to 10,000 prayers for people. You're going to hit a winner at some point. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there because uh, I, I, just, I want to finish, but I don't want to tread on unnecessary toes. But it pays for us to start small. Don't be afraid if your faith is small to start generically. If you're not hearing what God is saying, if you can't have no sense, does that stop us praying? When I started praying for people... Um, it's easy, you know, when you get an outside voice like my Kenya experience, God speaks to you audibly. To be honest, you need, you need very little faith now. Mate, the whole world just heard that. Like, I cannot doubt that. I'm just going for it. There's not a lot of faith required because it was just so darn obvious. But when God uses his inner voice, it's risky. I could get this wrong. And so I use in proportion to my faith when I first started praying for people and, uh, and just really trying to stretch myself, when I first started praying, I said, Lord, I'm going I'm to pray for anyone that you tell me and you tell me what you want me to pray for them, at least, one of the, at least the first paragraph. I'm not going anywhere until I get the first paragraph. 
And he sort of met me there. He said, okay, son, well, let's go on this journey together. So for a little while, a few months, um, I would just sit in a crowd like this, knowing that God wants to bless people because that's his heart. And I would always pray, Lord, who do you want to bless? I'm not going until you give me the first paragraph. That was the, that was the caveat. And I would, get, I would get what I sensed to be the first few lines of a really powerful prayer. I'd go, great, I'll go with confidence. So I would go in proportion to my faith with that because I believed, okay, I've got to start. I know that's the person I'll go and pray. But then it was almost like God withdrew a little. He stopped giving me that download. He stopped giving me the paragraph. And sometimes I'd just get a word. I'd go, Lord, this is stretching me. Just a word, come on. I need a bit more than that, Lord. He go, no, you don't need faith. I need you to go with me in faith. You need to not rely on a formula because this is what you and I do. We rely on a formula, not a relationship. What's the goal of all of this is relationship. Don't replace me with a formula. Don't try and abdicate relationship for knowledge about the Bible. I'm never undervaluing knowledge of the Bible, but don't let that replace a relationship. The book was never meant to be read in the absence of the one who wrote it. It's a living, dynamic thing. And so now he very seldom gives me anything. It's just a matter of who's in the room. <laughs> or sometimes he'll lead me, I'll get a sense of that person, you know, and I'll go over and pray and, and, and just see the Lord doing incredible things. It's, you use the gifts in proportion to your faith. And we need it to be by faith because he's more interested in us growing a relationship with him than he is about us playing party tricks with the prophetic. And so he wants us to go into the world. One final story. If you ever want to... Um, experience the power of, of God audibly or you know, wanting to speak through you or to you powerfully, get, get out of the church. It's incredible how much he wants to communicate with those in the world, how much he wants to show them how much he loved them. Why did I hear the audible outside voice of God? Because I was on the flaming frontier of mayhem, you know, where God wants to be. He wants to be here. He loves, he loves us. He loves these gatherings. But he's burning for what's going on outside. And I was at a wedding, and there just seems to be something about weddings. And um, this is the first chance I would try it in a non-Christian environment. I was at a wedding with my wife, and we were at a table. They always put me at the aunties and uncles' table. It's really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All these randoms that I don't know, and, you know, uh, I try to make it the rowdy table. Anyway, I was at this table one day with my wife, and, and I said, Lord, you know, who do you want to bless? hadn't tried this one before and straight away my eyes went to this woman, a middle-aged lady, looks quite normal and together and, and I thought, okay, this is going to be awkward, I'll wait until there's no one else around and it's just me and her because how, how do you broach a subject that I'm not, I just really sense God is saying something, you know, <laughs> a bit awkward. Um, so I thought I'll wait till it's just me and her and uh, as soon as I said that in my head, everyone at the table, including my wife, they all got up and left and it was just me and her at this table and I said, well, here we are and um, I know this is going to sound strange, um, but I just, forgive me, but I had this sense that I'm a Christian, you know, and, and I believe God wants to speak blessing into our hearts. So I just had this sense, you need to know that you're not on anyone's rubbish tip, rubbish pile. I said, I know that, I, I, forgive me if that sounds strange. And, and so you can cloak things in a way that's, if they think someone's weird, it's not God, it's you, and it's okay, you know. And uh, I said, does that mean anything to you? I'm so sorry. She, and, it, and she started just tearing up. And it took her a minute or so to gather herself because she literally couldn't speak. And she said, you won't know my story, but um, 
but uh, I, I'd lost my husband and I've lost my kids. They won't talk to me anymore. I've, I've lost my house and I've just, just today lost my career. And I said to God, if you're there, if you're real, I must be on your garbage dump. And some random nut job at a wedding is brave enough to say, Lord, is there anyone you want to bless? And speaks directly into the heart. Didn't need any apologetic about who God was. Didn't need all she found out in an instant there is a God, He's real, He speaks, and He loves her enough to pull her up and stop her doing something silly. She came to Christ and, and attended a church within two weeks. And it's just it's that simple. But it requires faith. It requires an element of risk. Every one of us has these divine moments potentially out there every single day of the week. Because God's heart has not grown cold for the world. This is Christian life. The stakes are sky high. We can fall asleep. We can be the Laodicea in church. I don't know whether, you, you know, thanks for all the good work, God says. But where's that love gone? Where's that relationship, that dynamic, fruitful, faith-filled, sometimes scary, pushing the boundaries of, of society life, where we're not the people just waving placards and complaining about politicians. We're meeting people and bringing them to life like it used to be. That's a dream. It's a dream worth dying for. Jesus died for that dream. That's the church. The greatest endeavour the world's ever known. And we can't do it without his help. Everything else is pretending. It's admirable. It's great. But it's pretending. Can I pray for you? Father, I just really pray amongst us right now that, Lord, I pray that you would forgive loose words that would distract us loose terminology that would cause offence unnecessarily. Lord, at the peril of us losing this major point, this major deal, that you love us and we're meant to live our life living from you, not merely for you, as admirable as that is. And even in this place today, I just challenge all of you now, the same way I challenge myself every single week, just to ask God, is there someone in here that he wants to bless? It doesn't need to be complicated. It might just be a hand on a shoulder. It might be a word of encouragement or buying a coffee. But just ask God to show you, is there someone he wants you to bless? It's the one prayer I've never had not answered. Sometimes if we find God's not answering our prayers, it's because we're praying the wrong prayer. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, I pray that you would, in this congregation that is the most dignified respected church in our movement. That, Lord, they would take whatever their next steps would be to, to just openness of diving into you. That they would base their unity on their relationship with each other and with you, not on the nuances of differences of theology or whatever else, secondary issues. That the primary thing would be the primary thing. That we gather together and together hear the mind of Christ to test everything I've just said, to test scripture and come to a conclusion based on their love for each other and their love for you. And I just want to pray right now because I just sense there are some, some of you here that are feeling like you're on the margins of life, on the margins of Christian life. It's like you've turned up at church but you're always the one on the outside. It's like you're the one who's not quite right, that you don't quite fit. And I just want to dissolve that false margin. It's just not true. You belong. You belong. That's a definition of what a Christian is. You belong to Christ. 
you belong to his body here. There is no fringe. We're all a bit weird. It's okay. So I bless you with being welcomed into God's house. So Father, help us all to place our faith in you. Not just yesterday, but today, right now. A life of faith. Bless us with ears that are open to hear you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.